Hallelujah. I remember Bill Gaither came to this church one time many years ago. Harry Causey asked him what he thought afterwards. He said, you Presbyterians are not going to be in heaven. You're going to run right by it. He was wrong. But we're interested, excited uh, to be here. So it's great to be here again. Uh, my family and I uh, are deeply indebted to this church and many of the people who are still around here. And Some of you don't know who I am. You're saying, who is that gray-headed, white-headed guy up there? So let me show you a picture of my family when we were here in about 1982. We came here in 73. I did have dark hair at one time. And uh, we came here in 73, from 73 to 89, and that's uh, my wife sitting down there. You would think she was my daughter, but she's not. That's my daughter standing up, Julia. And she lives in Milford with her husband and two kids, one of whom is 14. So it's the revenge of parents when your kids have teenagers. It's wonderful. And that's Timothy, uh, who's married and lives in some big town over in Pennsylvania that's in the pits. They used to have a football team. Glory to God! I can say hallelujah now. It was a long time coming, wasn't it? For Bengals fans, the suffering Bengals fans. But it's not, I used to be a Cubs fan, so I tell you. Oh man, it's great to be here. And uh, this church was very, very important to, uh, to me and to our family. I grew as a person, as a man, as a Christian. And I, some of you know me very, very well. I'm looking at Larry and Ellen and trying, and Maury and Lorraine trying to... There's, there's no telling what kind of sign they'll hold up halfway through. But uh, know me very well, and I have the kind of temperament. I don't know if you guys still do Myers-Briggs here, but my temperament is often wrong but never in doubt. <laughs> and uh, coming here was no different. I, I thought that this was going to be the place that I'd straighten out. You know. So you can see why I've tried to teach on renewing the mind and healing the mind all over the world. I needed to get mine healed. And this place uh, provided that, and uh, it was a great place to be. So wonderful times here with uh, the pastoral staff where we rubbed on one another. Uh, Jerry Kirk, in his inimitable way, would say things like, well, we just, you know, if we need to sandpaper each other. <laughs> That's knock-down, drag-out staff meetings. Uh, one, once a person in the, in the city said, oh, if I could just work with you guys at College Hill when everything was in harmony. I said, what church are you thinking about? We agreed to disagree, hopefully agreeably, but it was a time when we were all learning how to speak the truth in love, how to renew our minds, take every thought captive, deal with relationships. Now, I have a new ministry. I... Uh, I left here to start an inpatient psychiatric hospital next door at Emerson North Hospital, an outpatient clinic. Uh, one day, Larry Crouch walked in my office and said, this is going to be the best day of your life or the worst. That was 1989, and I'm not sure which it was. Yeah. <laughs> he said, uh, the Lord, I think, is calling us to open up a psychiatric hospital. So, oh, my goodness. I know nothing about that. We knew nothing about it, but they'd invited us to do that. 
to uh, go into Emerson Hospital. And I said, well, I know what worked at College Hill and Taleos is building a community of growth and healing, a community that integrated God's truth in the Word and also in His Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit and relationships, and the power of the Holy Spirit in the gifts of the Spirit. And so we built a place of in-depth relationships and healing where we trained all the therapists, including the psychiatrists. And I know some of you don't think therapists can learn anything, but they could. But we trained the residents there how to love one another, how to speak the truth in love, how to pray for inner healing and renew their minds. And let me tell you, it was unbelievable the kinds of things that happened. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. And last night when we were having the EMI uh, reunion, Jeff Baker and other people who had worked with us back in those days said, it's the most powerful time in their life of being on the staff because we knew we were dependent on God that these were people who were desperately in need and we didn't have what it took inside us to make the difference, but we had a God who knew how to change lives. And we were there uh, together growing and healing. So the things that I learned here at College Hill, in 1976 changed from Minister of Christian Education Discipleship to more of a discipleship and training, and we opened the Taleo Center, which means whole in Christ. And the sermon today is, or this whole series is on wholeness, shalom, Taleos, uh, finding the peace of God and the total being. And uh, that's what we were trying to practice and learn how to do. Uh, and we, we learned a lot together, didn't we? We learned. We're still learning. But it was a work in progress. And so it's great to be back at College Hill where so much good happened to me. And hopefully we added something to the mix. Uh, with all the nice things that were said about me Friday night, uh, I don't have to die anymore. You know, I don't, I don't need a funeral because most of us can't wait till we die because we'll, somebody have to say something nice about us then. It's already been said, so I can go on and live. But, but uh, there's too much emphasis, there's too, really too much emphasis on me, that the emphasis really needs to be on this team and on the community and on what God did together. It requires a spirit-filled team of people working together to really make a difference in the world. And, uh, yeah, I've got a doctorate, and uh, I see Dick Towner back there and Mike Enderley. There were four guys for College Hill Presbyterian Church got their doctorates in 1975, same time. So we, we know, I've got enough education to know that I don't know much. But with the Holy Spirit coming together in a group using all the gifts and the talents that he brings, it's amazing what can happen. And I see this church is, is still doing that. Now we've got these scriptures, Ephesians 4, and uh, I'm not going to read all of them because it takes too long. They're in your Bible, so you can read them. <laughs> The, the whole thing here is how the church can be a healing growth community and how we can pass that on. And our little motto was that we were going to be a, a equipping community. We're going to equip the saints, do the equipping of the people of God at College Hill Church so they would touch nations and go all over the world. And when we were uh, in Sweden one time, Steve Griebling and I were teaching, and the Swedes said that that word equip in the Greek is katartismos. In Swedish it means outfit a Viking ship of war because the church is a ship of war. We're going into warfare. We're going into battles with our own mind and with our disease and with the enemy. And we have to equip people to do that. 
And certainly no one who's preacher, teacher, we, the passage about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, our goal is to catartismos you, other people, so you will be touching the world and touching your, whatever your sphere of influence is. It's the arts, it's business, it's, it's counseling, it's the community work. But it's an ongoing uh, work in process. So this is what the Ephesians 4 is all about. Somebody asked me at, after the first service, what would be my, my favorite passage? And it has to be Ephesians uh, and Ephesians 4:11 and all like which says, you know, have your mind renewed, have your mind changed. And that's absolutely essential. So the sermon title here is Shalom. And Drew spoke last week on Shalom for the body. And uh, this is for the mind. And next week it's going to be for the heart, for the soul. But you can't separate that. If you touch a person's mind, you touch their soul. You touch their body. If you touch a person's body, you touch their mind and the soul. It's interwoven. But in thinking about a sermon series, you can't preach it all in one sermon. So you've got to spread it, break it up somehow. And so this is the way we've broken it up. But remember this. When you start renewing your mind, you will touch the soul. You will touch your body. And when the mind is out of whack, everything's out of whack. If we don't think rightly according to God's life and love, everything's going to be out of whack. I, I learned that terminology in graduate school, out of whack. <laughs> now, let me use the serenity prayer. Serenity prayer, written by Reinhold Niebuhr, a theologian, has been used, the first part of it, with anonymous groups all over the world. Wherever you go in the world, you will see this prayer. But this is the first part. But I want to use the whole part. The whole part has got so much power to it in the last. So let me read this, and then I'll break it down and go through each little section with you and sort of share some of my experiences since uh, I've been traveling around the world, uh, set up the hospital and counseling center. And we uh, just a little bit of a correction. Taleos was established in 1976 when the session changed my job description. And in 1979, EMI was started, but it was called CIC, Christian Information Committee, same organization. So it's 30 years. Yeah, you were in the sixth grade. There were Christians back then. Did you know that? (laughs) Sometimes young people don't think anybody uh, knew anything before us, but that's okay. And in those years, we learned so much and have taken it around the world. And the serenity prayer gives me a structure to kind of guide my thoughts. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you in the next. Now, you're going to get this when you leave today that you can continue to meditate upon it. Uh, and uh, so my new ministry called Sweet and Life Systems. I even wore a shirt so you wouldn't forget. If you want to, you can go online, www.sweetenlife. <laughs> Am I blessed to have a name like Sweeten, huh? Somebody, somebody wrote to me one time an email and said, is your name really Sweeten or did you just make that up for us? <laughs> no, I, I've lived with it all my life. So serenity or shalom, peace, total 
feeling of relational health to God, self, and others doesn't come accidentally. As Bob LaRoe said to me one time, nothing happens in life accidentally except sin. Everything else you've got to work at. You've got to equip. That's why equipping the saints is so important. Getting people in the Word and in fellowship. So this is why he chose to give. Christ chose to give his gifts to people to send them out to equip the saints. All over the world, all over you, uh, over Cincinnati in the USA especially, but all over the world, graduates of this congregation are making a difference. They're touching lives because they were equipped here. And a lot of it's invisible. You don't see them. You don't get any feedback from them. Every once in a while, you're going to hear some stories later from EMI, and that's wonderful when we do. But what you need to know is there's generations. There's a legacy for... We've got grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids, and every once in a while, you'll hear from somebody in Ukraine or Lord knows where, Russia or Singapore or someplace, and that's wonderful. But what you need to know is have faith in God. If you're obedient to equipping as a church... Your message, the, the Lord's message, will spread every place. You, may, you have to walk by faith. You may not see it or hear it, but it's happening all over the world. So let's look at this prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. What bugs you? What's worrying you? What do you fret about? What are the A-N-T-S, the automatic negative thoughts that pop into your head about things you can't change? Now, when I was a therapist or being pastoral care, and people would come to, to me all anxious, depressed, all upset, worried, whatever, and usually what they wanted to talk to me about was changing somebody else. <laughs> and I would say, but I don't see them in this room. They're not listening. I can only deal with the person who's there. But so much of what causes anxiety and worry is outside my ability to influence it. Good friend of mine the other day drinking coffee. He's so upset, I think he's going to have a heart attack because of what's going on politically. Number one, he needs to turn off the radio and the television. <laughs> he can't change that stuff. We don't have any direct influence over it. So we need to have peace, shalom, serenity, and figure that out. When a year ago, uh, I was on my way to uh, Russia a day or two after the stock market crashed. Somebody said, my goodness, you're not going to go to Russia with the stock market dropping, are you? I said, well, George W. hadn't called me yet. <laughs> but if he does, he'll know how to get me. Believe me, he'll know I'm on this flight. I, what could I do about the stock market problem? Your broker can't do anything. Even the geniuses in Wall Street can't do anything. There's forces outside our direct influence. So we need to have serenity and say, God, I want your peace when I look at that. Anytime there's something in my life or your life that's impossible for you to influence, you need a power greater than yourself. Hallelujah. We got it. But if you're trying to change it, if you're trying to push it, you're spending your time and energy and anxiety trying to make it happen, very often you won't be looking to God make it happen. Well, let's go to the next one. And the courage to change the things I can. We need God's courage, his boldness to change what we can change. Back when I was running away from the Lord and I was 19, 20 years old, I was trying to escape God. You know, I was in my 57 Ford driving as fast as I could out of my little town to get away from a revival. I didn't know they were praying for me in that revival. 
My mother had tried to change me for 20 years, and that was definitely unsuccessful. But the Holy Spirit caught up with me in that 57 fourth, and the Shekinah glory filled the Ford, and the Lord said to me, Gary, choose this day whom you will serve. I had a decision. I needed to say yes to God. And I said, Lord, to whom else can I go? Who else has the words of life? I mean, I knew the scripture from Genesis to maps. I just hadn't agreed with them. I needed to agree. I needed the courage to say yes. And after that, I thought everything's going to be fine. You know, growing up in this, come to the altar and pray through. And uh, after that, everything's going to be hunky-dory. Everything's going to be peaceful and shalom but it wasn't I still had to fight with all of the flesh and all of the sin and all of my negative thoughts and all of uh, the cultural stuff that was inside of me and and I knew what to do but I couldn't do it on my own I thought that when I became a Christian that sin was just sort of like a zit you cover it up with a little bit of makeup maybe a little religion will cover it up I found out that my sin was bone deep affecting my brain, affecting my heart. It was so deeply within me, all of those habit patterns. I needed God and I needed God's people. And God brought me into community and started teaching me, wow, I need to make some changes. I started getting learning about the Scripture, learning how to uh, renew my mind. I needed to repent. And that word in the Greek is metanoia, a new way of thinking, a new way of behaving, a new way of believing. So I needed that. You know, what I found out then and since this time, when we have an encounter with God, we're going to have healing stations before long, and you, or you go to a counselor, or you go to the pastor, or you have an experience with the Holy Spirit, and you say, man, that's, it's all over with. The battle is over. No, it may have just begun. I've discovered there's, there's two things that God almost never does and almost never happens in life. You know what they are? Two things. What do you think they are? Everything and nothing. What God does is something. But if you expect that God's going to do everything and he does something, you will assume that he's done nothing. And I find a lot of people say, well, God didn't heal me. God didn't touch me. Nothing happened. Well, you didn't go all the way from zero to ten, but something happened. We miss the miracles and the small incremental changes. And I know for years, one of my favorite book titles was, Why Is It Taken Me So Long to Get Better? Don't you ask that? Oh, Lord, why is it taking me so long? Because I need those little touches the, in the community, the, the learnings, the renew the mind. It isn't enough to take a class in RCT, Rational Christian Thinking, and then that's it. I have to practice it. By the way, I may need to take the, the class ten times before I really give it, Uh, get it down into my brain and change those habits. So remember this, two things almost never happen. So don't miss the small things God is doing and incrementally growing us up into maturity. So let's uh, look at the wisdom to know the difference. Where do you get that wisdom? I get it from the Lord and we get it from fellowship. We really need each other. We need the encouragement. We need the listening. we, We just got to have people who listen to us out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks and sometimes as we're being listened to or we're listening to someone stuff comes up we would have never suspected because the holy spirit is at work and coming to worship haven't you had things come up out of your heart and your mind when you're in the middle of worship and the lord says this is what i want you to deal with right now 
Now, some of you who are really spiritual warfare people, you push it back down. So that's the devil. And the Holy Spirit says, no, that's me. <laughs> so at one point in time in this church, there was a young woman, two young women, one named Meg Josephson, who now is Dr. Margaret Josephson Rink, and another one called Alice Peterson, who was an intern under me, who's now Reverend Dr. Alice Peterson. They went to a seminar on cognitive therapy. And they came back and said, this is so powerful. When you join this together with the Word of God, with the Holy Spirit, with the community, this will have life-changing experiences. If we teach everybody at CHPC and every church, everybody needs to learn how to renew their minds. Barry Stair said to me one time, I said, well, what's the most important thing you learned here, Barry? He said, well, this is what you need to get out of bed in the morning. Because we need to learn how to take those thoughts captive every day. So they brought that process to me. We rewrote it. There's Dorothy Fay. Dorothy Fay and Alice Jane and I wrote that book, RCT. And we didn't exactly know what we were doing, but God does. And that's the key thing. Let me tell you a couple of stories. I, at the Friday night at the EMI banquet, I ran into Joan Squarey. Joan Squarey is a woman from the west side of town, Squarey Foods. You'll remember she founded Squarey Foods with her husband. And she was the, a person very active in the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. They came to College Hill and took all of our classes, all of our training, uh, everything here. And so I said, look, you guys need to really be trained to take this back to your own community. Well, she... And I think Larry and Ellen, did you guys go up to the prison that time to Chillicothe? Tom Barger? You, they went everywhere. So, but they, they went to a prison. They taught rational Christian thinking. Now, where is there a group of people who needs to learn to have shalom in their brain more than in prisons and jails? But they don't get much help there, let me tell you. You know, it's punishment. So when they get out, they can do better or worse. So they went up and they taught that. Well, a few weeks ago, Larry, Chuck Squarey's hired this guy to work for him, and he sent him over to do something for Joan, his mom. And he said, Mrs. Squarey, you look so familiar. She said, well, tell me your background. He says, well, I just got out of prison. Were you in Chillicothe, a rational Christian thinking class? He said, yes. He came to Christ, learned to renew his mind, learned to take every thought captive, learned how to live as a believer, learned how to develop the fruit of the Spirit. Now, my brothers and sisters, that's an unlikely place where the gospel goes, but those are the places that desperately need the gospel. Catartismos in every corner of the universe. Now, let me say to you that I don't believe that we'll have total cure, but we can expect substantial healing. That Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he still died. He wasn't totally cured of everything. So look for those small things and work at it. It does take that. It may be impossible to the world, but it could be very possible to God. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time. One of the things we've tried to teach in RCT is don't live in the past. Oh, if only I had done this. If only I hadn't done that. If only I'd had a different set of parents. I've heard that a lot of times. All of us have thought that probably. Or what if in the future live one day at a time, one moment at a time, dealing with the reality of the day. Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Now this is one of the hard things. 
I would say that in my experience in pastoring and counseling, one of the first things that happens in a person's mind when there's any adversity, think this, what pops into your, what A-N-T, automatic negative thought comes into your mind when there's adversity, when there's sickness, there's pain, there's a problem. Do you say to yourself, what did I do wrong? What's God punishing me for? There must be somewhere, I, I must be in sin. Rather than, this is a sinful, broken, fallen world. We will take it as it is. We will deal with it. We will battle it. We'll try to overcome it with God's help and the community's help. But it's not because we brought it on ourselves. That's Hinduism. That's karma. You're only getting what you deserve. And I'm sure nobody got up this morning and said, Lord, give me justice today. Wait a little. What I would... No. We believe in God's mercy and grace. And for some of us, we prefer magical Christian thinking to rational Christian thinking. Make it go away because mama always kissed it and made it better when I fell down. Well, there's a lot of falling down in the world that we need to learn to face. Life's not fair. It's not merciful. It's not gracious. It's real. Learning to deal with it is so important. Now, we need this wisdom from God to face this reality. And uh, this year I got a grant from a foundation to do research on families with special needs children. And this is something that the real heroes in this are the families. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, they face this. And they need to know how to deal with this. What's possible? What's impossible? What do they put their energy in? Or what do they expect the medical profession to do? And what can only God do? In many instances, what they need is a power greater than themselves. And we need to help people figure out how to do that. If you've got any kind of chronic issue in your life, you need the wisdom and discernment of God to know how to deal with it so you're not taking on all the responsibility, getting anxious and a a worried mind and overcoming yourself with depression. But you can bring God into that situation. And one of the things that we learned here years ago in Tileus was many people need what we call soaking prayer. Like hard beans my mother used to cook. She'd soak them for 24 hours before she cooked them. Some people are hard cases. They're chronic cases. They need soaking prayer. They need the community to come around them and encounter God and encounter them and focus their prayer on that. Now, traditionally, we've done what I call speaking prayer. We just kind of speak an arrow prayer or seeking prayer. Lord, what do you want us to do? And those are necessary. But in chronic situations, we need soaking prayer and then look for the small incremental changes, not from zero to 10, but maybe zero to 0.5 or four to 4.5 or five. Same thing's true in evangelism. You're reaching, you're, you're praying for your community. You're praying for your family. If you expect them to all of a sudden go from zero to 10, you may be expecting too much, but you start looking for where God is at work along with your prayers. We need to have soaking prayer and people who will lay down their lives for one another. And the, this is only in the church can this happen. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. So I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you in the next. All things do work together for good. You know, I've got a little phrase I use with people all the time. Pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. Face the pain, deal with the pain. 
Accept what God has, but don't make yourself miserable. I told my grand, one of my grandchildren here a while back, uh, she was so upset. And I said, why are you making yourself upset? Well, I'm not doing it, Papa. Yeah, you're choosing to. Got to train them young. <laughs> let, let me tell you a quick story here. <clears throat> that uh, I was in Singapore, and when I go overseas a lot of times, I've, I've been overseas about 100 times. Not nearly as many as Larry and Ellen, but about a hundred times. And uh, <clears throat> I was in Singapore, and I went to a conference on domestic abuse. Uh, and I often pray, Lord, lead me to somebody here that I can build a relationship with and really share and uh, see what you've got in mind. So I saw a Muslim woman sitting over in the seat, and the Lord said, I want you to talk with her. Now, let me tell you, my anxiety, this was right around 9-11. I didn't have a good feeling. My Pentecostal friends would say, it didn't bless my spirit. <laughs> so, whoa, what am I supposed to I, Lord, I don't know anything about Muslims. I mean, this is, besides, it's a woman. You're, you're, you, know, you have to be very careful. How do I know how to speak, how to do anything? I'd already down in Singapore made some horrible cultural mistakes being uh, the Angmo that I am. And I thought, I'm gonna, I, I'll probably really mess things up. I don't know what to say. What am I? The Lord said, go over and sit down by her. Okay. So I went over and sat down by her. And I, I did what I've taught people all over the world, but I often fail to do. I listened. In fact, I got a book on it. But anyway, I said, is this an issue in your community, domestic abuse? Oh, yeah. Well, tell me about it. What are you doing? You know what she did? She had a large peer counseling center for the Association of Muslim Professionals. She had a telephone counseling crisis call-in, which B. Combes and I helped set up in 1970 in Cincinnati. And of course, I knew something about peer counseling. So I started asking her questions. What model do you follow? Where did you get your training? What, how do you deal with this? What, what about the calls, et cetera? After about 30 minutes, she said, well, how, how do you know all this stuff? I said, well, I happen to have a doctorate in this area and I've I run a lay peer uh, ministry back in the U.S., and that's what I'm teaching now in Singapore. I said, really, would you come and teach my people? And then the ants went up again, all my anxiety. What will I do if they invite? I don't know. Do I take my shoes off at the mosque? What? I don't know. And besides, they talk a funny language. And they don't look the same. And I had all those cultural biases in me, obviously. But I did. And over the next two or three years, I got very well acquainted with them. And in fact, took her, her name was Sita Hamidah. I took her and uh, to FCBC, which was a charismaniac Baptist church in Singapore, uh, to the classes and to learn these skills. And I told all the students, said, don't be charismaniacs with them. You've got to be loving and listening and caring and let the Lord do the work. At the end, this imam, this Muslim teacher, stood up and said, I've never been loved like this in my life or seen a community like this. I wish our people could do this. Now, he didn't fall down and receive Jesus as his Savior. But he was touched. He was convicted. He was along that incremental way of receiving the Lord. And Hamidah was also touched. Now, I'm going to tell you something next. And this is my second sermon, so it may be my last here at College Hill. 
I also work with the Sharia court system, Sharia law. I was awarded teacher of the year for the Sharia law for the Muslims. A lot of my friends won't talk to me anymore. <laughs> but it was a wonderful experience. Why? Because I taught them how to love their family and love one another and care for one another. And I would quote the scripture. I just wouldn't say it's in John or Matthew. And I would say, well, in our tradition, we say thus and so. And this imam says, so I got my doctorate in, in uh, comparative religion. I know what the scriptures you're quoting. <laughs> Hey, you got me. <laughs> and he said, that's okay. That's okay. Now, finally, let me show this last slide. This is a guy by the name of John Hirschberger. Who are you, John? Right there. Now, you think I'm taller than these guys. Look at John. This was, we went down, was it the Sheraton Hotel, John? Went to the Sheraton on Sunday. They said, but we'd like for you to come down to this thing we're having. Okay, well, we went down on Sunday. And uh, I went in there, and there's about 500 people, men over here, women over here. So they had a special, uh, oh, Mr. John, Dr. Gary, we have a special place for you to sit, right? They took us in, and I don't know how John felt. He's usually calmer than I am. I was pretty, the ants were working me overtime. What should I do? What's going on here? Uh, and this lady walked up to me one time. And she says, Dr. Gary, have you been praying for me? Well, yes. I'm looking around. Am I going to be stoned if I'm praying for her? <laughs> This one guy on the, uh, our far left here is uh, the head of all the mosques, the 66 mosques in Singapore. I think that's right. And I think the other guy was the major evangelist of Islam in Asia. And I'm saying, ha, 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 I'm praying for you. <laughs> and they called John and me to walk down. We're the only Anglos there. And we're bigger than trees. They were the only Anglos there. And they had us walk down to the middle. They're all speaking Malay language. So we don't know what's going on. I just hear them say, uh, Dr. Gary and Mr. John, come down. Whoa, what, what, what's now? You know, uh, Estonian? Uh, we, we don't know. I mean, when you're, when you're outside your culture, you're outside your place of comfort, you don't know what's going to happen. And if you don't have a healed mind to, to accept Jesus and His peace where you are, you will fail to go across that barrier. You will fail to go across the street. I would. I, I hesitated. I wasn't interested in making a fool out of myself. And, and what I find in churches all over, you know, I, I heard about evangelism and missions. The issue wasn't that... Uh, that uh, I didn't think they were interested. The issue was I was afraid I'd be embarrassed. I had met the enemy and it is me. I needed the Lord's healing in my mind. So we went down and then they, at this thing, this is what a whirlwind. It's when uh, they gave us a, an award or me an award for being a friend of Islam. I thought, well, I'm not sure how that's going to look on my resume, but... <laughs> But you know what? This is what God does. Does God have a sense of humor? Oh, I forgot to tell you. When John and I went in and sat down, I said, John, I, I got to go to the restaurant. You know, I'm so nervous, so anxious. And I needed to go to a private place to pray. And I went in and I was looked around. This was right before Easter. 
I went in there, and guess what? This was a Muslim-run hotel. Guess what they had on all over that men's room? Beautiful, nice men's room. What they have in the men's room, John? Easter lilies. I said, oh, I'm telling you, God, you provided the resurrection flower for me here. Is that neat or what? I came out and my anxiety was gone. I received the shalom of the Lord in my mind. Because I needed a power greater than myself. I couldn't change my feelings. I needed to change my mind. I needed to have the Lord's healing at that point in time. So if you've got some anxiety about reaching out, if you've got some anxiety about things, you say, I, I can't change that. But you have a power greater than you. And you can bring about that power, especially if you gather a small group of people with you. To do it, we're going to have healing stations. We're going to have communion here. You have an opportunity to uh, ask God for some seeking prayer, or soaking prayer, or speaking prayer. Some of you may have a chronic situation. Maybe you need wisdom on what to do. Maybe the Lord's saying, "Walk across the street and touch that neighbor." I don't know. You may be a fearful of that. You wouldn't be the first. I may have been paid to be a Christian, but I still had those anxieties. All over the world, when I go around the world, I've got them all the time. I need the Lord every day. I'm not finished. Please be patient. God's not finished with me yet. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Spirit. Again, stir our hearts and our minds. We need your peace, Lord. That peace that passes all understanding. Take away our anxiety, our misery. Replace it with your presence. In the name of the Father and the Son. And the Holy Spirit. Amen.